Welcome back to Kafaro Cast, everybody. Tom Selleck here, <laughs> aka. Nope, just kidding. That's me. It's Frank. <laughs> here with uh, Aaron across the uh, across the table, and we got a special guest, a more than one time on guest, several. I guess it's not special anymore. It's like his fourth time. A welcomed <laughs> guest, John Barklow. What up, man? Uh, what's up, fellas? What's up? Nothing. There's got to be rules. I would say after the fourth time, it's definitely not special anymore. Unless you did something say, special. Just, he's just full of shit right now. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we should have recorded the 15 minutes prior to recording. But, anyways. We were talking about mustache rides, Tom Selleck and uh, <laughs> Frank's mustache. I'll tell you a funny story about, uh, actually, this happened yesterday. Uh, somebody was talking about my mustache. I was talking to Al Kidner, and he was talking shit, as he always does. And uh, I was like, you remember that time uh, we had to send an American down there to, to protect you guys from the natives? <laughs> and then he got real serious and defensive, and he's like, do you remember World War II, Vietnam, Afghanistan? And I was like, no, nah, dude, I'm talking about Quigley down under. <laughs> 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 oh shit i i have to say um yeah i don't i'm not going to get into that but anyhow so today in the last few weeks i've started to get back into the high country which sucked because there's a lot of post holing and and over the course of the last couple of years i've noticed since you know frank and i specifically um have gotten comments or me testing gear where i will suggest certain things and then they'll see on Instagram where I use something else. And then they'll say, what the hell you suggested an MSR reactor? How come you used the um, MSR, whatever, Whisper Light International? And I, what I wanted to talk about today with all of us on here is there is specific gear that is sometimes better to use at specific times than other gear. And some of the gear is just more well-rounded and it's kind of a one and done. Not everybody has the luxury of tons of different gear to pick and choose from. So that could be stoves, sleeping bags, tents, tarps, teepees, arrows, broadheads, everything. And we're going to cover, you know, headlamps. We're going to cover those things and probably several other rabbit holes. So people have a good idea that if John is going to the hinterland of Alaska where he was training people, what he might use in Alaska in comparison to what he might use in Colorado. And same with Frank and I from what experiences we have to help people from maybe getting shitty advice from other people on gear and spending money that they shouldn't as well as, as, well as clothing. And obviously John having a huge part of Sitka gear can help out with that as well. And we're going to talk about Frank's mustache. <laughs> <laughs> so, Starting off, stoves is what I wanted to cover first because the other day I, I brought an MSR Dragonfly when Amy and I hiked in, and it was several feet of snow in spots. And the reason why I brought that was just straight up fuel and melting snow. Nothing wrong with using a different stove for that, but the I've had better luck in extreme conditions and colder weather with a multi-fuel multi stove, but they have some, some downsides as well. Frank hasn't used a multi-fuel stove as much. He pretty much is the tried-and-true reactor guy. But, John, you want to give your two cents on um, a multi-fuel stove compared to a isobutane or a, a, you know, a, a, a canister stove, where they kind of shine and where they don't? Uh, give your thoughts on that. Yeah, i got a lot of thoughts on that. So it's funny <laughs> because when I saw you post that video, I, I just knew it. I just saw it. I'm like, oh, he is going to catch shit. <laughs> for using a quote old school stove, right? And uh I did. 
I don't know where to start. So let's, uh, let's just say that not every tool is right for every job. And, you know, you do an excellent job of covering all kinds of different gear. So in this case, stoves. And like you said, there's a great place to start. And it used to be back in the day that a, an MSR Whisper Light or a Whisper Light International was like, that was that stove. And everybody knew how to run one and repair one. And I still think it's an awesome stove for certain applications. And then there's the isobutane stoves or the canister stoves. And this is my personal opinion, and I, I don't really like to call out specific gear because that's what you do. But I will just say that most of the canister stoves on the market suck, and there's a few that are really good. And so if you have one that sucks and you brought it into the high country and wanted to melt snow, like, you're not going to get too far. And so generally I'd say that if, if snow is, is my water source and I have to melt snow to create water, and I'm with more than one person, so I want a bigger pot, and I want to, you know, I'm at altitude, so you need a lot of water. You need water to do your meals and hydrate and everything. I think, generally speaking, a multi-fuel stove, in your case, the Dragonfly, or I'm really familiar with the XGK and, and uh, Whisperlight International. I think they're excellent choices that you cannot go wrong. Like you said, they have a few downsides. Priming is one, burning a hole in the top of your vestibule, and the pen is another. You know, you have to carry fuel, and you have to understand how to ration that. Um, you have to use, you know, potentially tins or windbreak, things like that. But once you understand that, it is super efficient. On the other side, if you don't choose the best uh, canister stove, you don't understand all the limitations of the fuel canisters, how to keep them warm, etc. You're going to suck. And uh, I was on a glacier in Alaska for five days with some guys, and it was me and my buddy um, from the Navy and then some Army guys. And all those Army guys had a certain canister stove. And me and my buddy Johnny had a different canister stove, the one that I feel is the best. Can and we, we say were which just one that is? Because that's my personal favorite. I think we all have the same favorite canister stove. Can you so make- that, in my opinion, the best canister stove on the market right now is the reactor and has been for a while. Um, for lots of reasons. And so Johnny and I were sitting there using snow, uh, even though I said, you know, generally speaking, I would use um, a whisper light if snow is my water source. We were using a reactor, and we were just cranking out liter after liter after liter. We had, I think we had our meals made, our Nalgene bottles topped, and we had five liters sitting in a bladder for the next day, and these guys were barely getting through melting one liter of snow with with the other stoves and um and so that's the difference right and so if you're not super well versed if you don't know the limitations of of each you know you're going to be fucked and then you go overseas you go you know climbing or skiing you know hunting whatever you go to these other countries and you can't get white gas if you don't have an international stove and you're hoping to find, you know, high-quality isobutane cartridges, like, you could be fucked again. So um, there's definitely pros and cons, but, yeah, that I think everybody should know how to run uh, a liquid fuel stove for sure. I'm going to dive into that a little more for the people that have yeah, no idea. that you well, could spend the whole podcast talking about this. Yes, you, you could. So when we talk about an international or a multi-fuel stove, 
there is a pisser in that stove uh, that you can change out, and it's the diameter of the piss hole, which is tiny, that who's smaller. Well, my piss hole is bigger than yours, so I'm burning <laughs> diesel, right? You're burning white gas. <laughs> Barclow's got a lot more experience. I'm not sure. He may, he may be burning like kerosene. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I would imagine he's at least seen some when you get rotted off the range in the Army. Um, but so when you change out that pisser, there's a little tool, and the cleaner the fuel, the smaller the pisser, the dirtier the fuel, the bigger. You just unscrew it, screw another one in, and you can run diesel, gasoline, kerosene. You can run whatever you want. So when the world ends, when the zombies come and coronavirus has killed everyone, no one is grabbing a fucking canister stove. They're grabbing, a, if they nope. know what they're doing, they're grabbing a multi-fuel stove. But in today's softer backpacking world that we all live in, everyone uses some type of canister stove for the most part. But anyone with any... I'm going to get bashed for this. Common sense will probably have a multi-fuel stove somewhere in their arsenal just in case, which is I've got a couple. I've got three of them. Now, when I chose the dragonfly, Amy wanted to cook fish. And by some miracle, that lake wasn't frozen over. The whisper light and the XGK, the XGK will burn a hole in a fucking car engine. That thing like. Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah. Oh, yeah. That thing's a monster. The dragonfly. You can uh, simmer with it. You can cook fish. Yep, or the XGK, yep. it'll just burn a hole through the bottom of your pot. That thing's a, a bad mofo. Yeah. So it's, it's just designed to melt snow in the water. Yep, yep, just just designed to boil. So I brought the dragonfly in case, because I brought a pan in case we cooked fish. So that's why I had that that dragonfly and to melt snow. Now, when you talk, when, when, when John talked about traveling internationally, that's why I kind of wanted to jump in. If you go and you burn kerosene like they do a lot in Southeast Asia, or you're burning diesel fuel. You got to change out those pissers and buying, if you're in a third world country or even a shitty first world country, it's hard to find isobutane canisters. You're not going to be able to run a reactor. You can't fly with those canisters. So that's where you got to kind of adapt and overcome. And I do mention products more than John. I am not a Jetboil fan. And there's been threads on different websites <laughs> talking about it with me and in and, and the gritty gunman dove in and said I'm sponsored by MSR and Jet Boyle's pro hunting. From my experience, Jet Boyle is not pro hunting. South Cox found out for himself he went to MSR and they are more a soft um, Jet Boyle. Uh Jet Boyle's more of a softer climate and activity stove, in my opinion, in comparison to a reactor. That'd Frank? be fucking cool to be sponsored by MSR. Yeah. They got some sweet shit. So, so I, I agree with you. Um, you you will not find a reactor, or you will not find a, a Jetboil anything in my pack. With that said, the the thing that Jetboil, where they were innovative, and, and where you know, uh, you know, they have something going on is, is they had the first like what I would call stove system that was small and packable and, you know, everything packed up in the, into a small package. I think that's what people like about it. But, you know, just because we're on the topic, that stove, let's just say that is not a high-quality stove. There are so many things wrong with the actual stove component of that that the reactor just just kicks the shit out of uh, in every aspect. So that's why I said if you, if you can't just pick – you know, we're talking very specifically about a liquid fuel stove. 
XGK, Dragonfly, um, and there's a couple others, you know, Whisperlight. Primus Omnilight Tie, that's a good one. There are very few canister stoves on the market that are worth a shit and that people are actually going to have a good experience with. And that's assuming they even know how to, how to run one. Um, you still have to have a quality stove, a burner, you know? Well, and, and I know what's going to happen here, so I'm going to solve people messaging us that we don't know what we're talking about. I've used mine for four oh, years fine. in Colorado in September, had no problems. I believe you. Colorado is mild in September. You are probably hunting at 95 to 10,000 feet. There's no altitude issues. Not a big deal. What what John and I and Frank are talking about is when you actually have to use the stove in a little bit more inclement conditions. When cold weather comes into play, wind comes into play, high altitude comes into play, and longevity comes into play. Um, John, would you agree with that? A hundred percent. You have to you have to understand the limitations, and there are a lot of limitations on some of these stoves, and very few on others. And, and if you go to, Frank, you've seen the pile of stoves in my house. I have little lightweight pocket rocket type stoves and um, I have a, whatever's that, Soto wind burner thingy and a titanium ever new cook pot. Those all work when I know I'm going into a relatively easy place and I want to save a, a little weight. I'm okay using that stove, but when the rubber meets the road, the, the reactor is coming with me for an ISO, you know, for a canister stove. Frank has used his so much, it's like discolored. It's like this funky brown, gray color. Because you've had that for how many years? It's a long time. I don't know. Eight years? Yeah. Well, considering Frank's only 16, he's had it half his life. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) they last for forever. I've seen them fall off cliffs. They work great for a heat source as far as heating up your hands and things like that. Um, And they burn really well. They they boil really well at, at altitude. And so... When when people say I bought this on Amazon for nineteen bucks, a stove, whatever stove that may be, it will produce heat. It is lightweight. Will it let you down at times? One hundred percent. Will it last multi seasons? It will not. But it it will spark a fire and it will boil some shit. There's no doubt about it. It's just, do you want that thing to go out three days into a hunt? Do you? You're not going to want to take that sheep hunting or goat hunting. Because it's going to take their listed boil time and fuel consumption time is probably figured out at sea level with no wind. How's it going to do at 12,500 feet with a wind? Those are all the things you need to take into consideration. Um, yeah, with temperatures at or below freezing. Yeah. And, and again, if you don't understand how all these different stoves work, then you're not going to be able to coax the best performance out of it. So, you know, if you, and here's the thing, like you, you know, I'm sure a lot of people, you know, we're, we're lucky enough that we have, you know, garages full of stuff and we can pick and choose what we want to use. And so that's why if, if somebody's looking to buy one stove, you know, then you have to be really careful about which, which, you know, what that one stove is. But they're all going to have limitations. So, for instance, you know, if you are burning kerosene or gas in that Whisperlight International, like your fuel consumption is going to change. Like you're going to have more soot burning kerosene. You're going to have to clean the jet more often. White gas burns super hot, super clean. You get really good, you know, fuel consumption. Like there's a, there's a lot to it that people will, you know, eventually need to dig into. You know, we sit here and talk and make it sound so easy. And, and really to start, it is easy. But once you dig in a little bit, and that's when people are like, oh, why'd you use a dragonfly? 
because it simmers awesome, and that's what I wanted to use it for, and I had snow. You know, you didn't know if you were going to have snow or running water, right? So, like, you picked the best tool for the job. And we ended up having balls deep, nipple deep, post-holing, which I should add, everything is new to Amy, so she's still in that phase where post-holing isn't bad. I'm going, like, balls deep, and I'm like, cock-sucking motherfucking son of a bitch. She's like, oh, the snow is so cool. I flipped in a little bit. I'm like 270 with all the shit on my back. She's like a buck 60, right, with her pack on. I'm falling every five feet with an ice axe, prying myself out of the ground. She's like, oh, look, Jesse's staying on top. This is so cool. And I'm like, son of a bitch, we should have turned around. Well, <laughs> it for her, it's all new, but she's learning. And we have all these yeah. stoves, and I explained to her, hey, if you were to go by yourself, here's what you want to assess. Do we have water? We don't know. The lake could be frozen, and we could very well be camping on several feet of snow. Um, we may be using dead man anchors. We'll go into that in a minute to pitch the shelter. Um, and yeah. we, may be, we may be needing more than a um, you know three-season ba- sleeping pad, right? We may need a four-season pad. So I was listing all this stuff off. I said, so we're going to air to the side of caution, carry a little bit heavier stuff, take our time going in. And that I guess that will lead us off of stoves and into let's talk about sleeping pads. Before you transfer bed. over there, what's the, what's the best way to boil snow? Do you, do you start with a little bit of water, then add a little snow? Do you pack the whole stove full of snow and then just crank her up? What do you do? Go ahead, John. You can go over how you do it, and I'll do it how I, go how I do it. Yeah, so the first thing you need to understand is for the most part, there's not a lot of moisture in snow. It's a lot of air. You'll hear people talk about like, oh, Colorado, 12,000 feet. We have like 8 or 10% density, you know, water content, whereas the Pacific Northwest or Alaska, you know, has more. But to answer your question, Frank, yeah, I always start out with a little water if I can. If not, you have to start out with a little bit of snow. It, it shocks people when they pack a fucking pot full of snow and they literally burn the snow. And they're like, you can't fucking burn snow. And I'm like, well, then you have fucking haven't been out there long <laughs> enough. But you end up burning all the shit that's in the snow, all the dirt and the leaves and the twigs, and you get very little water. So you have to, it's a slow process to start, and then it just goes from there. And so, like I said, there's a lot to this. And, you know, we kind of put ourselves out there a little bit by you know, certainly you, Aaron, have been doing this a long time and you talk about these things and people will, you know, kind of ridiculously call you, you know, like a hypocrite or what'd you say? You're going back against what you said. And you're like, no, I'm not. There's just so much to this that I I can only cover it in very small layers or you, you know, it would just be overwhelming to people. Drink it through a fire hose. Basically they wouldn't, they wouldn't comprehend the amount of fire hose. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, Frank, I start with a little water, I put a little snow in, and then depending on how much water's in there, then you can just start packing it. So I don't know if you do it any different. No, I do the same thing. I put half to a quarter, like depending upon how big that pot is, because sometimes I'll bring the bigger MSR or I'll bring, but that boils quick, turns into water. I get that heated up and I usually sit beside it and just keep, I don't just, unless I'm just lazy, right? I'm not going to bullshit you. There's times I just cram it full of snow and I got all the fuel in the world and I'm not worried. But when fuel is an issue and I'm trying to do it the right way, I just keep adding snow at a moderate level and it boils faster. If you just fill it up with snow, it, it burns fuel like crazy to get it going. Once it's going to take forever. Yeah, yeah. Once you get that initial portion of that water heated up, everything that's going in there is melting exponentially faster. And... What people need to understand, like how the bottom of jet boils were melting off, 
which was like the the final stage of my big middle finger to jet boil. I melted three <laughs> of them, and they're like, "Oh, they're titanium. You can't do that." And I'm like, well, "What are you supposed to do if you need fucking water? Piss on it? Like I gotta melt it, right? There's no there's no water here." And they were like, "Well, yeah. we'll give you a ten percent discount on a new one." So that was an irritating thing. But when you when you're when you're trying to melt water in one of those whether it be a Primus or a jet boil or a rat reactor, there's not a lot of square yep. footage in that pot. And so I just wedge the bottom, melt that first portion and just keep dumping it in handful by handful. And then I have my receptacle beside it. Every time I dump that receptacle, I make sure and leave or fill that up. I make sure and leave some water in the bottom of that, or you're really starting yeah. back over every time you don't want to empty the whole thing. Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know if you and I have ever, talked about this or i've ever asked you but do you carry you carry like a like an empty bladder or something to, to collect water when you're in the backcountry at all yeah frank and i both do and we've gotten crank i don't know frank have you gotten creative enough with the garbage bag yet <laughs> haven't had to go that far while we're talking about this i'm glad you brought that up and and i won't talk too much and let you take over there are times uh in one of frank and i's well it's frank's mule deer spot you know, when it rains, I, I will go to every rock hole full of water to get water out of it. And I will set up a garbage bag on the edge of the tent and pitch it so that every bit of condensation rolls into a cup or a bag. Or we'll fill up our dry sacks full of snow. You have done that before because I've seen you do it. We'll fill up that dry sack full of snow and lay it out in the sun because water is a commodity. And... So I always carry generally a garbage bag, a dry sack, and a bladder for water collection. And that's one of the reasons I carry that ice axe is sometimes the only place for water you have to dig. And you have to dig a trench and get the seep going. And that's why I use that ice axe walking stick is not because I'm climbing, you know, fucking K2. I need that ice axe, the pick and the, and the, and the digging portion of it to, to get water. But anyway, go ahead, John. No, I, I, you know, I think you covered it. I can't tell you as a general rule, I go as far as trying to collect the condensation. You know, I certainly, I normally carry, you know, a five liter bladder and that's not full, but I always have that. So if I'm melting snow as an example, or I got to drop altitude to gain a water source, like I'm going once and I'm bringing back as much water as I can. But when I'm sitting there melting snow, you know, generally my routine is I want to melt it all in the evening. I want to get as much as I need for that day to eat, to hydrate, and then have some for the next day to get the day started. And so, you know, having an empty five-liter bladder, um, I think the garbage bag's an awesome idea. Um, you know, I always have a, a pack liner that I can do that with. But, you know, I think that's important because if you only have, like, a two-liter bladder, three-liter bladder, like, man, that's not enough. Like, and melting snow is, like, you got to sit there and do it. Like you said, you can't. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm lazy too sometimes and walk away from it. But for the most part, you got to tend that thing and just keep, just keep it going. And then you want to then you want to collect as much water as you can. Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, I how I've explained it before when I've taught classes is boiling snow is not a part time job. Your ass is sitting by the <laughs> stove like you. There's no way around it. To and when you talk about doing, you know, five five liters or more, like Frank and I, we we. I, we usually have a four to six liter bladder, usually a six, I guess, is what we, and then our Nalgene bottle, and then a dry sack, and we always have a garbage bag in our pack for whatever reason, and that could, multiple yep. different reasons we use that, and, you know, from, and that part of that's also stashing meat and snow drifts and shit, but, again, when you're doing this, when you think about 
gathering water and this isn't just snow you have to think outside of the box and be extremely creative sometimes frank has taken jerky stick wrappers to get it angled correctly coming off of a seep to be able to drip down and fill our bladder for the right angle that was you wasn't it that didn't yeah happen? that was pretty slick by the way just like a wrapper i usually try to keep like a like a granola bar wrapper or those bobo bar wrappers in my pocket just in case for that situation you can fold it in there and you've made like a basically like a, a spout spout yeah and Again, these are things that I don't talk about as much as I probably should because it's sec. It's like wiping your ass, right? You're like, oh, you need water here. Let's get innovative. Uh, you know, you're not going to need have- a corkscrew, yeah. an avocado, and my it's, snorkel. It's some duct tape. <laughs> I've made a bong out of less. Um, it's kind of that way with water sometimes. Like I've taken my map many times and used my map and folded it to where it comes down, and I at least have a faucet to to get water from and. Right. You know, people think, oh, where I hunt, there's water everywhere. Well, you, you haven't hunted enough. Believe me, you're going to run it. That time Gritty and I drank out of that wallow, it was like straight up Bodussi. And there was no drink mix covering that. We didn't get sick. Fuck, it's the only water we had. People are like, I can't believe you drank that. And I'm like, well, do the math. Yep, you die does. in two days without water. The best part about that yep. was Brian didn't know what Bodussi stand f- stood, stood for. for. <laughs> <laughs> and he just kept saying it. This tastes like Bedusi. I'm like Brian. You know what the you know what that means, right? You're you're a very Mormon man. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Oh Lord, it did taste bad. And the thing was, is you die without water in a couple days. So either you're hiking out of elk country to find water, or you're drinking what you've got. And I wasn't worried about getting sick because we had multiple different filtration and purification systems. Some people would have chose not to drink that and come off the, the mountain, but you you got to do what you got to do when it comes to water. There's just no way around it. You, you got to have it every day. Well, seeing that we're on your podcast, I'll say this, but I had a buddy one time say, I'm not queer, but I'm so goddamn thirsty. I'm about ready to suck your dick for a little moisture. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'll lick the ass crack to get some sweat. It, it's, Jesus. It's, it's, so, yeah. It can literally get. Water's important. That it's bad. more important than food by far. By well, far. you can make it two to three weeks without food, proven. All right? Yeah. You yep. cannot make it long without water. And in the case of, like, I don't know, Frank and I looked like we were coming out of the Sahara Desert. You were a little bit better shaped than I was in 18. Man, my lips got chapped. They were all crusty. You know, and, and it's just part of it. And then when you when you have water, a lot of times people don't realize, like, I find a water source, like when you left me last year and you took off to pack yours out i went down this giant canyon and i hit like you would have thought i i walked lit like shangri-la right there, there was a pool of water in a stream man i got buck naked laid in that fucker took a shower went upstream and sat there and just pounded water for about 45 minutes to an hour to rehydrate that's another thing people don't think about if you find a good water source and you've got time sit there and drink some water like that's not going to happen again more than most likely. Like you, you've hit your one spot and in rehydrating right there is a very good idea. So I just laid there for a while and, and, and chilled and, and, and got rehydrated. And I see guys do that and walk right by water sources. I'm like, Hmm, you're not going to, you're not going to pass up too many of those before the, uh, the memory brain kicks in. We're like, fuck, I passed water three hours ago. What was I doing? You got to take advantage of the situations you have. Well, and that's where those, you know, an empty bladder comes in, you know, and people are like, why would you carry five liters? I'm like, I'm not carrying five liters all the time, 
So yeah, like you said, anywhere from a four to six liter and then an algae, I can collect a lot of water if I need it. Here's what people don't understand if they haven't been out there. I call it the vicious cycle. So as soon as you start to get dehydrated, then you start to get a little lethargic and then your cognitive function goes down. You're not as, you know, thinking as smart. And so then you don't want to go down to the water source. So then you get more dehydrated. Next thing you know, you're in a hole that you can't dig yourself out of, you know. And uh, especially at altitude, it's like super critical. What do you guys, you guys hunt at like 12,000 flipping feet, you know. Like, I think our camp's at that'll, 12, that'll, three. that'll squeeze every bit of moisture out of your body just living there. Just sitting there breathing will drain you of moisture. Yeah, it's bad. Except last year, total squirrel here, I called Frank. I shot that deer and I said, hey, dude. You want to come in and, and give me a hand packing it out? I say, I, I can probably make it, but I'm going to be a pussy if you'll come down. And I think I told you I'd be at the creek, but there was no flat spots at the creek. And I had all my camp and the deer, and I'm waddling, literally. I waddle when I got, you know, 120 pounds on me. I'm waddling my fat ass up, and it starts to snow. I didn't drink that much water that I knew better at the creek, but I filled the bladder up knowing I would drink more. So I got another fucking six ounces of weight or six liters of water on me knowing I was going to hydrate. Right. Now it's snowing, and I mean snowing, and I have no flat spot. So I ended up being, what, probably three-quarters of a mile from the fucking creek by the time I found a, a flat spot where I could where I could camp. But the, the reality, what would have been smarter, I don't know, and Frank, what do you think? I would have been better to go 300 yards backwards to a flat spot than mm. load up six. I mean, I just wasn't thinking. I loaded up six liters of water, and I'm like, I'll find good flat ground eventually. I ended up going three-quarters of a mile in a snowstorm, getting everything soaked. You know, here I am, the yeah. quote-unquote professional. We all do dumb right. shit. I should have just loaded up six That's liters awful. of water. I should have just went backwards 300 yards. It wouldn't have been because remember that big flat grassy opening. I'm talking like perfect camp spot. No, I'm going to go a little farther. Fucking dumb. Everything I had was soaking wet. It was pissing snow. I was starving. I ate so much top ramen that night. I shit out a noodle the next day because I was like, I'm eating everything <laughs> I've got tonight. And I had like, you eat the bad stuff last. I had four things of ramen and four things of tuna. I ate all of them at one time. It was, I was like, I'm just going to sit here and rehydrate and, and eat. Yeah, it was bad. But anyway, on it's to. Hard. It's hard to go backwards or back uphill. And sometimes, like, sometimes, a lot of times, that's, like, the best thing to do. Especially if it's 300 yards. But when you're fucked up in the head like that, you're just not thinking clear. You know? You're just not. Oh, I wasn't. I packed that mule deer out in a bane, which is literally a duffel bag with shoulder straps. And I had one game bag in my hand because I was too lazy to go back and get my pack. I got to the top. It's admiration day. I'm calling my buddies. I did. It was it was comical, dude. My shoulders. It, my shoulders were bruised because I think I even told you. I'm like, dude, I ain't going back to get my pack. Fuck it. I'm just gonna take it out. So I had two white dingle balls. Right. I had game bags in my hand the bane stuffed with as much as I could get in it. My camera was tied to the outside and I, and, and I climb up over the top and I'm like, ah, oh, I made it. So out comes the phone, call Amy. I got one. I think I called you. I called Randy cooling. I'm like, oh, there's a storm coming in. I should hurry up. Fuck. Of course I stayed on the phone with Randy for another 30 minutes. I get down to the Creek. I'm like, oh, since I was on the phone too long, I'm just going to fill up six liters of water. There's a flat spot up here. Well, lo and behold, up here ended up a long ways from where I thought it was. And I wasn't like I was any jeopardy, but I would have been a hell of a lot smarter to walk back for about five minutes and 
be on flat ground in an hour with a hundred and some pounds on my back going forward. But luckily, first thing in the morning, Frank came down the hill with your. You must have set record time getting in, dude. You smoked it coming in. Just fucking hammered, man. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. He had his, so he comes up, he's got his chest, his heart rate monitor on, and I can hear it coming down the hill. You are burning fat. You are burning fat. What, what was it saying? <laughs> it'll, it'll tell you if you're, if you're uh, either burning fat or increasing endurance or all that stuff. Yeah, I was talking to him. I'm like, what the hell is that? And then on the way out, man, and it was cold that night. It got, you know, probably high 20s and you you hit a windstorm coming in on that plateau didn't you yeah it was pretty cold yeah it sucked it's bad so okay uh on to the next uh subject because we're jesus christ we're already at 35 minutes uh sleeping yeah, we're, we're going deep we haven't even touched we haven't actually seen and scratched the surface we start talking about water so we should go somewhere else now yeah no no shit uh sleeping pads and sleeping bags and when i talk about pads you've got the different r value or the the heat retention value you got foam and air pads and then bags uh down in synthetic or or quilts and i uh, john i'll let you take it from here on your thoughts on on pads Seriously, that's that's all you're gonna fucking say and then turn it over to me well super high level <laughs> let me keep it super high level so let's let's assume right let's assume that that uh somebody's starting out or they're looking for like you know, I think what we're talking about is people are looking for versatile products. Like, you can get super specialized stuff. What is the most versatile stuff? And um, maybe if people start there, then they can go to the left and right. But, yeah, I mean, a, a pad that holds air, an inflatable pad, is definitely going to be uh, warmer than one that doesn't, like a closed-cell foam or insulate pad. Um, and then there's different R-values, like you said, so that's warmth. Our value is just a measure of warmth. Um, and there's basically you get it for different thicknesses. And what do they rate them as, Aaron? Like three season, four season. Um, they just kind of put a, a name on a lot of them now. Big right? Agnes does that and a couple other companies because I think they got tired of people getting confused. It used to be like a, right. a three, five or lower was three season, above three, five or three, seven got into four season. Our value. And now they're just putting three and four season, but it just four, four above is four season. Just look at it that way for our value. So, you know, I'd say if somebody wasn't an ounce counter, they wanted one pad. I mean, you know, I, I, I personally run a three season, um, a, a lot, but yeah, if you just wanted one pad, you get a four season and then you can get different shapes, different thicknesses. It just all depends on how much weight you want to carry, but there's downsides, right? So the one thing is, uh, you know, an inflatable pack can get a hole. And so I always recommend somebody carry some type of patch kit. And I've only had it happen once where I couldn't, where I think three times I've had a hole. One time I had a hole I couldn't repair. I slept on the snow in a tent for two more nights and I was okay. Cause there was a little bit, there's like a little bit of foam in some of those thermorests where it gives you just a little bit of insulative value. Um, so, you know, you got to figure that out. Closed cell foam pad, there's a lot of versatility. You can stand on it, you can sit on it. So that'd be like a Z-Rest, and I forget all the different names of them now. You can splint a guy's broken arm with it. You can set your whisper light stove on it. It won't burn. There's a lot of stuff you can do. It's just not going to be as warm, and they're kind of bulky. A lot of times, though, I'll cut like a half or maybe even a third length of one, 
and 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 carry that, you know, specifically to glass from or stand on if it's in the middle of winter. Like I'll stand on that sucker too outside my tent. But you know, there's different shapes, there's different lengths, and so it just really depends what people are looking at. I like the ones that are contoured. I normally sleep on my side. I don't need a super wide pad. I just get one that's six feet long because I'm normally not totally laid out. Um, but that I would argue that the pad is almost more. I, I would say if I had to choose the pad or the sleeping bag, I think the pad's more important. That insulating yourself from the ground from conductive heat loss is absolutely 100% critical to not freezing to death. So the ground pad is often overlooked, but I think it's really, really important. I, I would agree, and, and I, I don't have too much to, you know, to add to that. I would say, as John said, get a four-season, a lighter weight four-season pad if you're catering to an all-around pad that um, you're probably catering more to the three-season side and occasionally sleep when it's cold. Get a, get a lighter weight four. Now, I don't know how many shit I must have 15 sleeping pads at the house. And I use the big Agnes Q core SLX a lot because I'm fat and, uh, it's squishy and I like it and it's relatively okay for three season. It's like 3.9 inches thick. It's like a pillow mattress. That thing's a the bomb, but it's a little bit heavy. Uh, it doesn't do great in cold weather. I just got it to help me sleep a little bit more. We also have the Thermarest X-Lite, the X-Therm. We've got some Sea to Summit. We've got Mont Bells. we got a bunch of different ones. You're going to pay the piper, and that's the best way to look at it. You get an 11-ounce Thermarest X-Lite. It's not going to be real wide. It's not going to be overly comfortable. It'll be comfortable. It serves its purpose. It's an air pad. Um, it, it's thick. It's I think it's two and a half inches thick, but you're not going to have a lot of girth there, not a lot of square footage. You're not going to be fucking playing Foursquare on it. I mean, it literally will hold you with your shoulders sh- sh- like you know shrunk in. So if you you sleep on your back and you want your arms to be on the pad, you're not going to get away with an 11, 12-ounce air pad. But as far as warmth goes, if you get a three-season pad and you're catering or you're starting to hit the colder weather, you will freeze your dick off faster than a shitty sleeping bag. I agree with that. And people have told me, hey, I had this bag – and I'm not talking Kafaru bag, Western Mountaineering, whatever. And I got cold. And I'm like, all right, give me the digits. Tell me what happened. I got back to camp. We ate dinner and I was sitting outside. I started to get cold. Okay, right there, you fucked up, right? You're not yep. producing any body heat. Well, I, I got in the bag and I, I, I figured I'd wear my socks because my socks, you know, are going to insulate. And I'm like, well, were your socks wet? Well, they were sweaty. I'm like, eh, you, you fucked up there too. So, all right, strike two. <laughs> um, now, were you dehydrated? Oh, yeah, I was super dehydrated. Well, that's another problem because you get cold when you're dehydrated. So, strike three um, or four. And then I'm like, all right, what pad did you have? Oh, I had a whatever pad, and it's R value of 2.7. It's super lightweight, state of the art. Strike five. You deserve to freeze to death. You fucked up every way possible, minus jumping in the lake before you got in the bag because you did nothing to to help yourself. Um, and that pad literally sucks the life out of you if it doesn't have a high enough R value because it's literally sucking the heat from your body into the pad, into the ground, more or less. Absolutely. Um, yeah, people don't understand that. You, you got to understand the why of a lot of this stuff. Like, yep, you know, I, I heard you couple months ago you had a podcast and I think it was one of your shorter ones and I think you talked specifically about sleeping bags and maybe the one you guys sell but 
I thought that was a great podcast people should listen to and really take that advice. But like, you have to understand how these things work or, you know, you and I have not really talked about this. I, I think I know where you stand. People try to save weight in the worst fucking places. <laughs> like I don't save weight. I don't, a fucking ounce or two. I'm 225 fucking pounds. An ounce or two to me. I get, a ground pad. I guarantee I just shit asleep, six ounces. I got a fucking roll over. <laughs> yeah, that's a fart. <laughs> my ass off. Like that is not the place to save weight. There's a lot of other places to save weight. You know, don't oh, save yeah. weight. You know anymore, and it's it'll start on day three. If I don't have a ground pad that's that's somewhat thick, then my hips go to sleep because I sleep on my side, and then I'm I'm not getting any sleep. So what's the point of getting in the tent and laying down if I'm not going to get any rest? You oh, know. Then John turns and, into um, a crabby patty. Exactly, and here's the other thing that I think people understand. But once you play this game long enough, like you're going to start buying one ground pad, one stove, one sleeping bag. Fucking five years from now, you're going to have four sleeping pads, three stoves, and probably five sleeping bags, right? Like you just are because you're going to learn more and you're going to start to, you know, I'm going to use this for this. You know, I'm going to use the thin lightweight pad for my scouting trips in the middle of summer. I'm going to use this for the October mule deer hunt. But you got to understand that, which is why this podcast is so great, so that people can pick and choose wisely. You know, and especially if you only have enough money for one pad, one stove, one sleeping bag, it's like you want to pick the most versatile one you can. Frank and you and I all, all have the same mentality on this. And, and I wrote a, an article called Don't Chase the Rabbit, um, and it was the lightweight rabbit. And the moral of the story yeah. was back in the day when I was reading way too much ultralight backpacker shit and trying to be cool, I went into the woods with a very light three season tent, a quilt out of all things, a fucking alcohol stove. I mean, straight up full oh, yeah. on full retard. We haven't even talked about those yet. <laughs> oh, I think those should be burnt in hell. Um, <laughs> unless you want to just hike the PCT. <laughs> I Jesus. And yeah. so I did the math for six and a half pounds. My life would have changed. I had to come off the mountain for six and a half pounds going in. Not every day just to get there. And so right. when you need it, like Frank doesn't, I don't think you do spreadsheets. What, what goes in the pack needs to be in the pack. And people are like, oh, I don't buy a bigger pack. I'll put more shit in it. Well, you're a fucking idiot. Don't do that. <laughs> Why would you just put shit in your pack to put it in? Like I have a pack that I need. I have a, I have a bag that I need. And, and you know, people are going to call me a dick for saying that, but it's true. If you're throwing shit in your pack for the greater good of filling up space, you haven't suffered enough on the fucking mountain because yeah. no one does yeah. that that has been on the mountain a lot. And so I don't do a spreadsheet on my gear very often other than to remember it, but I mean weight because if it's in there. Yeah, I don't, I don't do that anymore. Yeah, I used to, but I don't now because if it's in there, I need it. And whatever it weighs, I know I need it. I know it's proven. And for me, when guys are like, hey, I was really thinking about doing this, what you just brought up. I was going to bring this because I'm going to cut this ounces here and I'm going to cut this here. And I'm like, what was the total weight? Well, I'm going to save about three and a half pounds. I'm like, dude, I've seen you. You are a solid 40 pounds overweight. And you're right. going to jeopardize your hunt to save three when your ass needs to lose 20 and your t stomach needs to lose another 20. But you're going to you legitimately risk your hunt. And I mean, Frank, we've pushed it in certain, well, Frank's almost died a couple times, but when you're going in a mile, you can carry whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. 
But when you're going in 5, 7, 15 miles and you're pushing 5, 7, 10, 12 days, all of these things we talk about really start coming into play like, well, you've seen it way more than me, but you start to talk about mental clarity like math problems. Hey, what's 4 plus 4? If it takes you a minute to answer that, you're starting to get fucked up. Sleep deprivation, food deprivation, water. And when you combined all of those, it not only makes you inefficient, it makes you come off the mountain. And so for that extra three pounds, that extra whatever, people, and I don't know if it's a badge of honor to talk about on social media, but remember that time? I so. I'm got, you got me on a rant now. On Kafaru Insiders, no, someone no. asked, <laughs> what should my pack weigh for a 12-day hunt? Out of 48 fucking replies, two people had actually done one. Now, 48 people answered the guy what it should weigh but two people had actually finished said task of a 12-day backpack hunt or 14 and i'm like oh my god i'm reading all these some guys had never really backpack hunted but they are giving their advice on what to pack and with 14 days well we'll just go around the horn frank you've done 14 days what's your pack weigh i don't know it's a lot of food (laughs) so a lot of food what, what would you say roughly is your pack of weight with optics like for hunting? 70, 80 pounds probably. Barklow, where are you at? Yep. So I don't I don't have to eat a lot just because of physiology. So for how, how many days? 10 four, or 12? Let's say, four, let's say 12 to 14. 70 to 75 pounds. Okay. And I'm in the same boat, and now we're going to break that down with realistic Cause, cause math. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why I say that. Generally speaking, I can go... Depending on the optics, not counting my weapon, I, I try to hit about 50-pound pack. And then every, so nothing of that changes. Everything beyond that is days of food that just start adding on, right? Like my standard kit weighs X, let's just say 35-ish pounds. Then you start adding food. And then the number of days just keeps compounding food. You're not carrying all that water. So you can play it out. What about you? You can, about the same. I mean, and it, it, anybody that's going in that has actually done it, the number ain't fucking changing, right? You can't just miracle shit. No, I mean, you got to have my it. Point. People <laughs> got it. Uh, the only way it's going to change is if you eat a little less or a little more. <clears throat> and I've seen guys have up to 10 pounds more in their pack. We're carrying the same shit. We're splitting the tent, splitting the fuel, splitting everything. They've got up to 10 more pounds in their pack, depending on number of days, purely on their size of their food bag. And that's a personal preference, and everybody's got to be different there, right? Because I can't eat what you eat. You can't necessarily eat what I eat. I can definitely eat both what you and Frank eat because I eat way too fucking much is the problem. Um, Frank, Yeah, I couldn't fucking carry the amount of food you eat, Aaron. Yeah, it's it's bad. I was just going to say people are probably on the Internet just considering a backpacking trip. They don't consider, like you guys were saying, the optics, the weapon, the kill kit, the possibles kit, your bow kit, your ammunition the arrows, they don't yeah, keep I mean, that, that shit into consideration. Yeah, operational gear. It definitely starts that up. But, I mean, you could probably, you fuck, you could do a 40, 45-pound pack if you weren't if you weren't hunting, probably. But I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to compromise. So here's the thing. Like, we've all, we're all experienced enough, which is nice. We've all spent some miserable fucking nights and trips out in the mountains, guaranteed. We've learned a bunch of shit. I'm not going to compromise my safety or my comfort. And my comfort's different than a lot of people. Like, I'm not living in complete luxury, but if I'm going to sleep, I'm going to sleep, right? But I'm not going to compromise my safety or my comfort for a fucking couple ounces 
because I'm out there to hunt. Now, if I'm out there to do a 100-mile endurance race or some fucking crazy week-long you know, bike ride where it's just a race and the whole point is to suffer and do as fast as you can, that's a different story, but this isn't a race. Like, you want to go there and hunt. Like I like to say, I don't want to be pushed off the mountain by Mother Nature. I want to leave on my own terms, right? And so, uh, but I think that's the progression is everybody starts out super lightweight, becomes a weight Nazi, cuts a toothbrush in half, and I think they end up over time kind of settling in the middle where you and I are talking. Yeah, and that's, that's I covered that in a podcast where I, you know, I'm making jokes, but I was like, you got the poverty phase where your pack's heavy because you got cheap shit. And then you got the gadget phase where you've gotten some money and now you're buying everything known to man. And the last phase you end up with is you've got the shit you need and you know what you need and that's what it right. is. Right. And, and when you, for, for the generally, when you talk about backpack hunting, the kit is pretty much the same. Your sleep system, your tent is going to weigh three pounds in average, right? It can weigh more. It can weigh, you can have a tarp, it can weigh less, but three pounds, your sleeping bag for average September and earlier is going to weigh two to three pounds. You can't really get around that unless you start really cutting corners with, you know, so, you know, you can go sub two, but when the weather gets really bad, you're jeopardizing things. Your pad is going to weigh somewhere between 14 to 20 ounces. You're not going to get around that. You can skip a pillow and things like that. Then you go to your cook system. It's going to weigh a little over a pound, a little under a pound with your, your fuel. Your food unless you just don't eat, is going to weigh, at a minimum, 32 ounces a day if you're eating normally because you're going to need to eat 3,200 calories. If you eat 2,500 calories a day, it's 25 ounces. So in my case, I'm 2 pounds a day at a minimum, 14 days. That's 28 fucking pounds, and I'm not getting around it because I like to eat. So whatever my pack is, (laughs) I got 28 more pounds of food, and I can't get around that. Right, right. And so you know, to kind of tie it back to the stove, you know, things, things that, that weigh, you know, that, that kind of weigh and add up <clears throat> that you really can't get around or, like you said, are the food, whatever water you choose to carry it, you know, if you carry it three liters at a time or whatever, and then the fuel that require, that you're, is required to, you know, boil water if you're eating, you know, all that food and how many meals a day you're eating. Because all that, you know, you have to equate, uh, uh, you have to account for all the fuel consumption now. And so that's either canisters in your pack or that's, you know, liquid fuel bottles in your pack. Um, but like you said, you can't get around that. Um, yeah. I, what I think is a better exercise when people are kind of figuring this out on their own and learning and, and you know, spending a couple shitty nights out is when you come back, fucking when you unload that pack, put everything in a pile that you did not use or even think about and never bring it again. And do that every time, and you will eventually whittle it down to what you think the bare necessities are. Yeah, and, and the only thing I have in my pack that I don't use very often, um, I have a patch kit. I've been lucky. Um, I hardly ever put a pat hole in my air pad. I always have a patch kit. I would suggest don't get rid of that thing. You you may need that, and you may never use it, but you want to keep a, a moderate. No, you have to have that if you're bringing in inflatable packs. Yep, those things like have common sense, but I had guys bringing soap and shit, and I'm like, eh, eh, don't bring soap. Um, And then I had a guy message me the other day. It's a good question. Do you bring socks and underwear for every day in your trip? And I'm like, well, 
<laughs> if know? it's real long, I might bring one extra set. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I do bring an extra set of socks to change into, sometimes an extra set of underwear, but I, I'm not back there to smell good and I don't want to carry the shit. You don't really need it with the technology of, of clothing. So to, right. to, to circle back to, to sleeping bags, I would say in pads, the pad, just get, if you're not going through any, like too far through September sleeping, just get a, a, a lightweight four season or a little heavier weight three season. When I say heavier weight, meaning a higher R value three season or a lower R value four and make sure that it is applicable to how you sleep. As John said, he's a side sleeper. So am I, I don't need a lot of, of, of width on that pad. Cause I sleep on my side for the most part. I do need thickness of the pad because I'm fat and my hips and shit hit the ground. I wake up right. and I feel like somebody hit me with a hammer. Those are things yep. you need to think about. The bag, same thing. If you're sleeping three season type shit, you, you know, use, I would say somewhere in the t- legit 20 to 25 degree range is the lower end um, of what you need. Now that's not internet statistics. Like don't believe you got to read some reviews. A comfort rating of down to 25 or so, maybe 30, you're good. Now, those are my numbers, right? Like, um, I have a, a a bag that I use in cold weather. It's a Western Mountaineering Badger with five ounces of overfill. That'll put me down in the five, 10 degree range, no problem. Um, I don't use that down bag all the time. Um, when it's really bad, bad weather, I use a synthetic bag or if I know my ass is going to have to get in that bag to glass because it's so freaking cold, I bring a synthetic bag. But there is no, in my opinion, synthetic and down. One does not replace the other. I don't care about hydrophobic or any of that shit. Hydrophobic helps, but, you know, there's a, you got to pay the piper. And to to be, I mean, honestly, I think you almost need three or four bags to be as as thorough as you can be, or as 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 versatile as possible, because there's just too many conditions. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, just just as a blanket statement, if if you're starting out, if you only want to own one sleeping bag, 100% it needs to be synthetic. Period. It's idiot proof. Like it's just it's just gonna work no matter what happens to you. Um, I'm in agreement. I've been running about a 25 to 30 degree ish bag easily for the last 10 years the only the only place you and i differ and we don't need to go down this rabbit hole now we probably have a different podcast but i tend to sleep in in my clothes and my puffy um or at least you know a puffy like to supplement my sleeping bag but there's so many tricks and you did cover it in that one podcast there's so many tricks to sleep in warm that is far beyond the sleeping bag. So we already talked about the ground pad, what you're eating, that you get in warm, wear a beanie, all that kind of stuff. But it's more than just the sleeping bag. But I think people make the mistake of, again, they're like, oh, I'm going to go super light sleeping bag. I'm going to go down or treat it down sleeping bag. And I'm going to go do a rafting trip in, in Alaska for, for moose. And I'm like, yeah, you're fucked. Like you're going to die. <laughs> You know, because you, you're not you're not building one. You probably don't have the experience that you need, and two, you're not building in any safety parameters, right? Um, so yeah, synthetic, twenty five to thirty degree, uh, just as a general rule. And um, it, but then but then there's literally just a shit ton of things that you need to understand to actually get the most performance out of that uh, 
out of that sleep system. I think the other thing too that we might want to cover, we touched on is your gear is only going to carry you so far and like the the best gear you have is like common sense when i talked about the 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 bag thing i have um issues with with circulations in my feet and my hands and so it is imperative for me to knock out some push-ups walk in a few circles get the blood generating um before i get in the bag if i'm cold now if i'm fine i just get in the bag but like if, if you get back and, and, and like when Frank and I are, are mule deer hunting, he's a few miles from me. I'm assuming it's just as cold over there. Now, sometimes at night it is where I am. So what I'll generally do, and I, I don't have anything, there's no one there. I have nothing else to do anyway. So I will usually knock out 50, 60 pushups with mm-hmm. my puffy on just to, I want to hold the heat in and then right, I'll go yeah. walk. I, I wait, I, I, yeah, don't do this, your t-shirt, that's stupid. Walk in circles, right? I'll just walk around, take a look, just get the blood flowing. I haul ass back, pull off my puffy, wrap it around my feet, zip that fucker up and get to bed. So every bit of heat, I, heat I'm producing is trapped in that bag because I think that sometimes people don't understand there's not like little Asians crawling around inside the sleeping bags. <laughs> It's your body heat that heats it up. Or if I've I've put meat inside my bag to keep it cool, it's an insulation piece. It's not a it doesn't conduct right. it. Um, if I'm saying that right, you got to have body heat in a lot of it, uh, especially if you use a little bit bigger bag. Like if you have wasted space in that bag, you need to produce even more heat to heat that up. I, and I John, you want to touch on that because I think people aren't a lot of people don't understand the concept of a sleeping bag other than you get in it and hopefully it keeps you warm. Yeah. And again, it's, it's super, like, it's super important to understand like how this gear works that you've got. And so to your point, yeah, it's an insulated piece. So if you get in cold, there's, there's, there's not like magically going to be, you know, warm heat produced. I mean, your body does put off a little bit of heat, but if you get in cold, that's all you got for the rest of the night. And um, so, yeah, you're right. You get in warm, then it traps that heat and that's what the sleeping bag is supposed to do. It's supposed to trap the heat in there and then, you know, keep you warm. And so, you know, a couple things that, you know, I, I don't generally, I mean, we all get cold feet, I think, in the sleeping bag. I, I don't have the, the issue that you do specifically, but I'll do a couple things to supplement, you know, the, the internal heat of that bag. So if it's really cold out and you have water, you have to figure out, sometimes what to do with that water so it doesn't freeze at night. And you talked about this on your podcast. If I have a Nalgene, which I generally always carry at least one Nalgene, I'll boil water before I go to bed, pour it in that Nalgene, tap it, make sure it's tight, and introduce that outside heat source into that bag to heat that dead air up inside of that bag. The fit of a sleeping bag is not often talked about, but the more room you have inside there, the more dead air that has to be heated, the less efficient that bag's going to be at keeping you warm. So there are international standards for testing. And, you know, I, I've, I've gone through the process and seen people do it. And, and it's a great place because it'll give you, you know, a, a standard comparison. But there's, it's only a place to start. Um, the other thing I think that's often overlooked, and I don't know if you talked about this or not, but I, I do this as a standard rule. Um, understanding that your body is that heat source and your body is the only thing producing that heat, right? Or like in this case, I said, put, put a water bottle in there that, you know, how many times at like three or four in the morning, you got to fucking piss, 
you're cold, you're chilled, because whatever you ate for dinner, all those calories already fucking burned off. And so I like to say it's, you know, you got to get up at four in the morning and stoke the fire in the fireplace to, you know, get it to stay up till, till uh, sunrise. It's the same thing with your body and your metabolism. So I normally bring um, a Snickers bar or some like high calorie, simple sugar, like, you know, I call it the, the, uh, the pine log that I'm going to throw on the fire and I'll eat that Snickers bar. No, I'm not going to fucking brush my teeth afterwards. I'm just going to eat that Snickers bar and, uh, and take a piss and go back to sleep. And my metabolism is going to stoke up and it's going to be enough to get me, you know, till like 6 a.m. or whatever it is. But, uh, but there's a lot going on there that people just think I can crawl in there and I'm going to miraculously going to be hot. Just not the case. Yeah. And I mean, that pretty much sums up everything you need to think about that when you're, when you're trying, when you're trying to stay warm and believe me, if you've camped in good conditions, it's not nearly as important. Once you've froze your ass off for four or five nights, it becomes very important. You become a connoisseur of staying warm. And that's when you really start to analyze and pick things apart. And you got to kind of find your own, your own, I say your own way, but your own method. Like in my case, I get cold feet, pretty much always wrap a puffy jacket around my feet when it's super cold. I know they're going to get cold. I try to get them as warm as they can. I agree 100% with John. I have a snack bag uh, beside my head, basically, in whatever shelter I have. <laughs> I bring a, I bring a candy bar. You bring a fucking snack bag. It, that's, that's our difference. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, I eat a lot. It's bad. But what I, I try to do the <laughs> same thing is I, I calorie up going to bed. And then if I don't wake up at night, I generally have whatever coffee, that kind of crap. Everything's close by. That's not just right, for ease right. of use. That's also for not losing heat. If I'm like, oh, I got to get out of the tent, go grab my coffee. Well, fuck. Now I got to get, I'm cold. I'm get. you know, it's, it's just staying as efficient as you can be all the time. And I, Frank, you don't drink coffee though, do you? Or not very often. Anymore. I started drinking coffee again. Yeah. A little bit. Now, do you drink it when you're in? The back country. When I go hunting, not generally, no. Uh -uh. I I have to have caffeine in the morning, so I either have some type of pre workout, and I'll generally have coffee to try to help me poop. So, like right in the middle of a stock, I don't have to drop a bomb from adrenaline. (laughs) I try to get that out before that. Um, But all of those things are are important. So I'm gonna move on um, away from bags and move on to clothing now because it kind of fits the same thing with sleeping bags. When you go into the back country. And, and this is the same, you know, you obviously, if you're road hunting, you can carry more same principles apply. When you go into the back country, there's a few pieces that cannot be left at home. For me, you got to have a beanie hat. You, you sleep in it. You got to have, you got to keep your head warm. You got to have a way to keep your hands warm. You got to have a wind blocker for a top. You got to have a fleece and a puffy jacket, you know, to, and rain gear, of course. But those are the things that really you know, are going to keep you happy because no matter how cool your clothing is, if it's windy and you don't have a wind blocker in one of them, you're fucked like a football bat. You're going to get cold. Um, and I'm going to let John take it from here because he's the clothing, he's the cockmeister. He's the clothing master. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I, I, I don't even know where to fucking start. No, I, I agree with you. Um, those layers you talked about and, and, let's let's end on rain gear because I, I got a question for you but um you know i think base layer whatever your base layer is I, I call it the foundation of your clothing system i think it's the most important thing 
that people overlook. It's like what's directly next to your skin. It's really not intended to insulate you at all. It's intended to manage your moisture. So it's intended to move moisture away from your skin. Uh, or, you know, in some climates, it's it's intended to keep moisture next to your skin to, to stay cool in super hot weather. But, like, that's the foundation of the house. And then you have generally, you know, some soft shell layers. So that's, you know, your pants. I'm, I'm a huge, huge proponent, like you said, of any kind of wind blocker or wind stopper uh, jacket. So if you understand how, you know, the body loses heat, pretty much always breezy or windy in the mountains, you're going to lose heat really quick. Um, so I'm a huge proponent of that. And that's something that base layer, soft shell pant, windstopper jacket-ish is something that I'm going to wear. That's going to be 95% of the time, 90, 95% of the time, that's what I'm going to wear. And so I dress for movement. I start out pretty cool. So I don't overheat when, I, when I'm hiking around. And then as soon as I stop, Again, assuming it's windy, a little chilly, I'm going to put a puffy on. Um, some people like fleece. I'm just a big puffy guy. Again, if you have to pick one, I'm going pure synthetic just because I know it'll perform in the worst conditions. The beanie is often overlooked, Aaron. I don't go anywhere, anytime. I was just down in the desert of southern Utah. Fucking got cold as hell at night. Like, if you don't understand that, you're going to freeze your ass off. And... You could be completely covered up in the world's best technical clothing. If you don't have a beanie on your head, you're going to lose all the heat right off the top. So super important. Definitely want to sleep in that thing. And then rain gear. And and that's what I kind of wanted to land on and talk to you about is, you know, I hear people. Hold, hold on. We can't, we can't jump to rain gear yet. We got to We got <laughs> the rain gear is going to be a long one. So I can't let okay. you do that. All right. Well, that's fine. Yeah, cause I think it will be. So, all right. So, so so that's what I have to say, like, super high level to start on clothing. On clothing, let's talk about base layers real quick on merino and synthetic because I went down the merino rabbit hole and got the fuck out quick because it's heavy. I don't mind a merino lightweight base layer. After that, though, yeah. socks, and that's about it. I... I don't like how long it takes for Merino to dry, but I like the funk factor of Merino. So I don't mind um, a lightweight Merino base layer. But after that, I like synthetic because it dries faster. It's a big one. Uh, It's not as heavy. It it you know when when merino gets wet it takes forever for get it for it to dry on the thicker layers. You know those kind of things are are negative. And and Frank, what you're about in the same boat, I guess, aren't you? Yeah, Merino top bottoms if it's cold enough and then everything else is synthetic for the most part and and john i mean what are your feelings on that because like i said i i went down that merino rabbit hole for a while and it just it doesn't pay off for intermediate layers for me fleece is the way to go but you you go ahead on that one yeah so i you know i i pretty much agree I, i like to say that you know merino or synthetic base layer it's your personal preference right merino is definitely going to have the best uh ability to fight the odor your body odor, 100%. Synthetic's going to dry a little quicker. So, you know, I, I'm not anti-merino, but I am pro-synthetic. And there's some different treatments that different brands use to kind of counter the funk um, in synthetic base layers. I pretty much always wear, like, wool boxers because you definitely want to manage the funk there. Um, but just with some of the offerings for tops, I, I tend to trend towards uh, synthetic tops. But it... it 
but it, ultimately it's just personal preference. If I'm whitetail hunting, I'm always going to wear merino base layers because I'm going to try to do anything I can to cut down on my on my stink. Um, but I agree with you. Once you go past a thin base layer with merino, I do not think it works very well. Everybody says, well, it's warm when it's wet. I'm like, yeah, but it's fucking wet, and I don't want to be wet. And I think synthetic does a superior job of managing moisture when you start getting into those thicker layers. Again, if I'm just going to sit in a tree stand, maybe, but I'm not going to be backpacking around with anything more than merino base layers on purely because of that that management of moisture. Like I, I know just from myself, if if I have my if I have a layer in there that's damp, I'm going to stand around and be chilled even with the puffy on. And so I just rather dry out quick and be done with it. For your guys' base layers, both you and Aaron, um, that merino is is it generally just like a, a very thin, lightweight merino? So you don't you got you don't like the thicker because I know there's there are companies that make like a thicker merino base layer for winter time. Do you like sticking with the thin merino because it will dry out quicker if it does get wet? Man, if I hunt by the road, I don't mind wearing a little bit thicker merino. Actually, there's a duck hunting one you guys make I like um, that I think yeah, it's a hybrid. It's a heavyweight. Yeah, it's a it's a polyester. I think it's a polyester wool blend. Yep. Yeah, but for for backpacking, I'm just a thin merino guy, and that that's it. Right. Well, but see that, and so that's where people will, that don't know any better will call call you out or call me out. Because yeah, if 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 we're doing if we're up hunting with Lander, right, on that hunt, I wouldn't mind having that heavyweight merino top, right, just because of the nature of the hunting that we were doing and the conditions, the weather conditions. But as a general rule, I'm not going to carry that same heavyweight merino on a backpack hunt. Yeah, I'm just no, not going to do it. No fucking way. And the thing is, is when people ask me this, I'm like, dude, step back and think about, you're saying I'm contradicting myself. I don't have to carry it. And if it gets wet, I get to go to a motel room at night. Totally fucking right. different scenario, right? I mean, I'm not, the world is different from backpacking. And so do I mind wearing a you know, I'm basically doubling up the base layers. I'm wearing a thin one and a thick one over it. Having a merino right. or a, or a blend when I don't have to worry about drying it out, when I don't have to worry about the weight of it. No, I don't mind, but I do have to worry about the rest of the time. And I'm trying to give advice to people for the best bang for the buck. And on backpack hunting, weight and drying shit out are paramount. Far more than if you're bowing back to a wall tent or a hotel. You can do whatever you want. I mean, shit, I'll hunt in King of the Mountain out there. It doesn't matter. That shit weighs 95 pounds when it gets wet. Is it my first choice? Hell no. But you could do it. But backpack hunting is a whole different world. And and the the faster it dries and the lighter it is and the warmer you stay, that's what you got to have for for me. Yeah, that's the number one. Those are the highest performance criteria when you're backpack hunting, you know. So it really does, it really does matter. You know, if I'm just, if I'm getting dropped off at a tree stand or I'm just going to walk a couple hundred yards to a tree stand, like, yeah, I could wear heavyweight merino again to help manage any moisture and it's quiet and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I just have it in my closet, so I want to wear it, but I'm just not going to carry that on a backpack on. That's what people need to understand. It's like, if you, if you want to know, you know, what, what you should start with, here's what you should start with. But you can't necessarily follow everything I do and, and, and apply the same template because we, we, you know, we, we know we've done this enough that we know what we want to use for certain 
applications. And, you know, that heavyweight you talked about, that blend, you know, what we're trying to do there is just take, you know, like the better moisture management of synthetic with the anti-stink and, you know, and quietness of wool. So, you know, that that's what these textile mills are trying to do with these fabrics is trying to, you know, blend them. But if you understand the pros and cons of each, then you can kind of pick what's right for you. And if you're never backpacking around, then you can wear something different. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think we got that, you know, covered. Let's go to rain gear because I got into a, mostly because of Tyler Friel, he got everything all fucked up. Uh, trying to bring the reality to rubber, rubber your buddy that, that uh, had the rain gear in, in Alaska. I never, never fucking heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> the the thing with rain gear, my two senses is, it. I I hundred percent agree. If it's breathable, at some point in time, it will leak. The problem that people, if you take that one statement and live the rest of your life by it, you're 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 going to falter a bit because you will sweat. Uh, as much wearing rubber rain gear as leaky rain gear, one, and two, it's heavier than balls. And I'm going to let John take it from here, and then I'll throw the rest of my two cents in. But I have a lot of people like, why don't I just buy a rubber rain gear suit? And I'm like, well, have you ever worn one? Because it fucking sucks. Um, I have worn it. Yeah. You you might as well wear a garbage bag, and it's heavier than yeah, shit. I have to, yeah, again, we'll try to keep it super high level. So basically two kinds of rain gear, breathable and non-breathable, just like you said. Breathable. What you're going to have with breathable is you're going to have a lot, a lot of options. Generally speaking, it's going to be much lighter weight than, than any kind of rubberized non-breathable. It's going, to, it's going to be cut better, so it fits really well. And there's going to be a lot of features on it, you know, pit zips, pockets, you know, full-side zips on the, on the pants, generally speaking, you know, all those things that you want. And I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to go down the road of, the, the breathability aspect, but let's just say breathable rain gear will breathe. Um, and it'll breathe far better than non-breathable rain gear. The, to your point, like, you know, when it starts to wear out or you get developed some pinhole leaks, like you will, you know, you can get wet through that rain gear, depending on what it is, who makes the laminate, you know, there's some that, that are better than others, but yeah, you can get wet from the outside in. Here's the thing with rubberized rain gear. It's heavy. It doesn't fit very well. You don't have very many options. You're not going to get a lot of features. And when you wear rubberized rain gear, I guarantee goddamn to you that you're going to fucking sweat. And now, as opposed to getting wet from the outside in from pinhole leaks, where, you know, you can kind of deal with that and manage that at night with, you know, a patch kit or just fucking, okay, whatever, my thigh's wet. And it's going to fucking dry 15 minutes after I get in my tent. Not only are you going to sweat and rubberize rain gear, not only are you going to fight the, the fucking shitty material that it is, but you're going to wet yourself out from the inside out, i.e. you're going to fucking dehydrate yourself. Like, you are literally going to kick your own ass, <laughs> and I just don't see how anybody would want to do that. Now, if you're sitting on a glassing knob looking for moose or brown bear for 15 days straight on the Alaska Peninsula fuck yeah, give me some rubberized rain gear. If I'm going to go crab fishing, if I'm going to do you know, long ATV rides out on the tundra to look for caribou, all those opportunities, yeah, maybe rubberized rain gear is a better, is a better choice in those kind of small select choices. But the vast majority of the people are going to be better served 
using breathable rain gear. I got to add to that just so people, because I've been answering this question a lot. Um, the, the first question is, uh, what's the cheapest rain gear I can buy? That is not a good way to look at rain gear, but two... That is the wrong fucking question. Yeah, that's literally like saying, what are the shittiest boots I can buy? Or what are the cheapest boots I can buy? They're going on your feet. Like That's what gets you around. I mean, dearly with your family riding around into your car, do you go to the tire shop and put put on the cheapest shit you can find? I don't care about my family. That's kind of how you're looking at it. So the next one, you know, obviously the price point, the weight... Hey, breathability, whatever. Now, when, when you're when you're gonna buy rain gear and you're backpack hunting and you're doing it in Colorado, I would say that uh, using Sitka, for example, do you need the storm front? No, prob- probably no. don't need the storm front in Colorado. Should you get it if you're gonna do multiple different hunts? Great option. I think the Cloudburst is the one that I use a lot, or and I'll even take when the weather looks good that flash pullover thing because. I mean, fuck, yep. it doesn't hardly rain in Colorado, so I don't need it that much. Going to BC, okay, Stormfront is is what you need there. And even if you have the money and you're just looking to buy rain gear for Colorado, well, earlier in the season, Stormfront is, is just more than you need. It's not going to hurt to have it, but really you'd almost be better off to, to dump that money into a better puffy or two puffy jackets, meaning be a little bit more versatile and get the the cloud burst, which is the one I use that a lot in Colorado. It's it's kind of a happy medium. Now, yeah. having said all of that, just think if the only rain gear you had was rubberized. It'll rain in Colorado and be so fucking hot and you're at 12,000 feet and you're hiking around. You're like a condom. Literally, you're a human condom. And there yeah. is nothing you can do about that. And so... When, when people ask me, you know, these questions, I'm like, man, assess it. What time of year? How much does it rain there? How far are you packing in? Those are the important things because if we, in Alaska, I bought, I, I took that, I think it's called the Kodiak. The, I don't even know if you guys still sell it, your longer rain jacket. I'm a big fan of that. And um, yeah. st- Stormfront Bottoms. It pissed rain like crazy there. No issues whatsoever. I wouldn't really ever use that in Colorado. It's just, it's not needed to me. And I mean, Frank, you generally kind of run the same things as a happy medium rain gear. Don't you? even when, when we do bring it, sometimes we don't bring it at all on backpacking trips. It doesn't rain very, very much. Um, but I don't know that I've ever been caught in Colorado in a storm that wetted out my rain gear, meaning, you know, from pressure from the shoulder straps or everything else, cause cheap rain gear that will happen. And when you talk about that, when John is talking about getting wetted out from the inside, there's there's a breathability rating and a waterproof rating, and one's a MPVR. And John, you want to talk about that? Or you want to take it away from me on no. that one? Okay. So no. uh, when you talk about those, <laughs> the 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 two numbers you're looking at, when when companies list these, and it's probably good that John doesn't speak about this because I'm going to bash the shit out. I won't mention anybody's names. Some companies. <laughs> Give that breathability rating after the rain gear is built, meaning there's this circle and uh, like a like a little tube or whatever. And then there's a tube that the, the, the rain gear goes in the middle and a tube on top and they fart air from one side and they fart air from the other. And that shows the breathability rating and the waterproof rating. How much air does it take to go through that laminate? Some companies that give these crazy extrapolated breathability and waterproof ratings, 
They give you the breathability rating before the fucker is put together. Meaning before everything's laminated together, the glue and the shit and everything else and all that, they're giving you the breathability of the, you know, when you layer everything together, they're just giving you the goods of the one layer, not the finished product, which is crazy skewed. 3M did a test on this and the shit was blown out of the water. Like it wasn't even remotely close to what people were reading on this tag. And when you get into that with with a rubber rain gear, there is no rating because it just doesn't it keeps water out and it doesn't breathe for shit. When you do the breathability rating, that is is basically um, with a good company how much that breathes before uh, or how much that breathes when the when the rain gear is put together. Now, because of like hyperbole and bro science and shit that's listed, what kills me is. <laughs> Oh, this break, I'm buying this rain gear. It breathes so well on and on and on. And I'm like, I know for a fact you haven't even worn that shit. That is totally off what people are telling you because that crazy extrapolated number from what you read on the tag, it, it's a lie. And, and John, you don't need to add too much, but is my finding somewhat what you guys have found on some of the things that people put on the tags for, for breathability and, and waterproofness? Yeah, you're spot on. So there's ways to manipulate numbers. A lot of companies do that. A lot of ingredient brands do that. What you want to look for and ultimately what matters is how does it breathe in the finished product? And, and there's a lot that goes into breathability in the field, but that's what you want to look at. Um, and so, yeah, generally you are, you are hitting the high points for sure. And, and I look at that in pit zips. Honestly, pit zips are important to me because my fat ass, there's no rain gear that's going to uh, breathe well enough for how much I'm sweating climbing up a 14,000 foot peak, right? It'll help, but pit zips really help. And so what the, what the membrane's already helping with, I can blow out some heat out of the pit zips to, you know, kind of finish the day. You know what I mean? Like, okay, I'm super freaking hot. I'm going to open these bad boys up and on lighter weight rain gear, you're not going to have those pit zips. But after my rant here, what I would say is, guys, don't buy the cheapest rain rain gear you can find. You're going to buy it again. When you buy it that cheap, it's going to leak. It's not going to breathe in. It's going to tear. Put decent money into the most applicable rain gear you can. Meaning if you're hunting Colorado, get a mid-road weight rain gear. Don't get the most durable and don't get like the cheapest shit you can because Colorado is kind of a I'd say mid-range rain gear. A lot of times it's snow, it squalls. You know, when you start stepping into western Washington, northern Idaho, western Oregon, B.C., you want to go a little bit more, you know, full-rip potato chip because you are, are going to need it there. And how, how much are you guys on those on the testing? And, I, I mean, I know this now. How much testing are you putting into that rain gear? Because it, it was more than I thought. Oh, it's an amazing amount just in the lab alone. So, you know, you, 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 pick the, you pick the laminate package, right? So that's the whole thing put together based on some, you know, everybody's got, you know, different test parameters. Then you put it in a garment, which, again, depending on how you build it, can affect the breathability. Then you put it on a mannequin. And then ultimately what matters is you got to take it into the field. Because I'll tell you that, how should I say this, that lab results don't really mean shit. What, what what ultimately means something is breathability in the field. And the difference in perceptibility and breathability in a finished garment in the field from the human being 
most most of us can't tell the difference. It's either going to move some moisture or it's not. And so if you think you can put on any rain gear, any in the world right now, and go run a fucking track meet and not fucking sweat, you're full of shit. Like, you just don't know. You just haven't worn enough rain gear. Like, you as the human, I like to say, have to be an active participant. So you're like, oh, if I put on rain gear, I put a barrier on. I put laminate on, right? And if I go hike up this mountain and I don't moderate my pace and I just want to get up there as quick as I can, I'm going to fucking sweat. I don't give a shit what rain gear you're wearing. You're going to sweat. The difference is if I get up there and I keep it on, that moisture is going to move through whatever laminate and you're going to dry out. If you have non-breathable rain gear, that's not ever going to happen. You're just going to stay wet. Well, it becomes um, a conductor of freezing your balls off moist. too. It, it, it absolutely does. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely does. So, you know, there's a lot that you can't just, there's, there's no one thing that we've talked about today that's a silver bullet. Like you have to understand how this stuff works. You have to use it way, you know, kind of benefits you. You have to, you know, it's a, it's a thinking person's game, right? Thinking man's game. Like you gotta, you can't just like, Oh, I'm going to take fucking, you know, jet boil out and it's going to work perfect for everything. It's like, no, that's not, that's not true. Same with rain gear. The, the, the problem, the people, the reason people get wrapped around the axle, I think on rain gear is a couple of reasons. One, generally speaking, rain gears is expensive, right? Or it can be very expensive depending on what you pick. The second one is, I don't know about you, Aaron, but I never go on a hunt hoping it fucking rains every day and I get to wear my rain gear just to try it out. Um, <laughs> like, I've never been that way. So, so really when you're talking about it, <clears throat> rain gear is insurance. And everybody's got a different uh, level of risk they're willing to take. So, you know, you may have a million-dollar life insurance policy and Frank has none because um, he's Frank. And, it's probably true, actually. You know, and maybe I got something middle of the road. Well, it's the same with rain gear. Here's the, here's the problem with rain gear. I'm not going to ever put on rain gear when the fucking weather's good. So it's just like fucking car insurance. You don't need your fucking car insurance until you get in a wreck. And then when you get in a wreck, you're glad you have the car insurance. When I need my rain gear, I want fucking rain gear that's going to keep me dry, that's going to fit well so I can move around, keep hunting, and hopefully it breathes a little bit, right? That's what I want. So we all have a different level of risk or, um, or ability to spend money. I would just tell you that more than any other layer, you get what you pay for with rain gear. And you can get away depending on where you live. Like you said, Colorado, I can get away with a different set of rain gear in Colorado than I could when I lived in Kodiak, Alaska. Because it fucking rains every day in Kodiak, Alaska. And it's shitty, and it fucking gets cold, and it's windy. And if you don't have good rain gear, then you become a statistic, where in Colorado, you know, it sounds like you could probably get away with more of a medium price, like you said, rain gear, you know, and just manage it from there. The problem is if that person from Colorado or, or even Arizona, maybe even a better example, goes on that mountain goat hunt in Alaska and doesn't think they need a different set of rain gear, now they're setting themselves up for, for an issue. Yeah, and, and that, that happens frequently. And that's why, you know, a lot of times I do those Q&As, I'll just need more info because that is a very, very, very broad question. And an even, Oh, shit, it's too broad. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and so 
the, the one thing I'm going to tell my Rivers West story because this was like the reality of non-breathable rubberized type rain gear. It was like Sportsman's Warehouse. I think it was 2003, maybe. I don't, I don't know, 2004. And they had the little waterfall going into the bowl and it was quiet. And I'm like, oh my God, this stuff oh, yeah. is awesome. Yeah. I was all fucking <laughs> pumped up. Bought the full set. Probably didn't tell my wife. Worked a side job. Oh my <laughs> Christ, on a cracker. I sweated so fucking bad wearing that. And what we, t- and these are the stories that you remember, right? Where you're, you, you damn near died. So I'm on the Olympic Peninsula. I'm wearing that shit. It's September. I'm hiking back. I'm on the Quinault Mountain Range. And I'm sweating, and you know, I'm moving though, so I'm warm. I don't give a shit, right? I'm right, young, right. I'm dumb, I'm good. Well, I stop, right? An elk are coming, and then, long story short, that shit almost killed me because it became a conductor of cold because of of what's inside, and my core temperature dropped to where I could not. It was that achy, cold feeling. I could not warm yeah. up for the life of me. So, I'm like, okay. I'll just move because this shit got me into this situation. It'll get me back out because I'm wearing a garbage bag. I'll warm back up. It worked, but fuck, I'm seven miles in. What am I going to yeah, do? Yeah, it worked until you stopped again. Exactly. So now I'm like, oh, I'm going to walk my ass back because now I am fucked, right? Everything I have soaked on the inside, I'm dehydrated. And, you know, until you run into these situations, you don't really realize it's just in your pack. It rains. You throw it on. You take it off. You're good. Well, it's when you actually start pushing, you know, the, the 50, 60, 70, 80 plus percent of the potential need, value, whatever you want to call it, of that specific piece of gears when you're like, okay, I'm getting what I paid for. This is why I paid for this. In the case of Rivers West, I wanted to kill everyone because I'm like, and myself, because I'm like, man, I, I f- fell for that fucking hook, line, and sinker. I'm like, oh, this is yeah. the best. Now, if I just wore that sitting in a tree stand, no problem. But man, I, 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 it was, it was bad. And that's the same thing with, I don't know, whoever makes it, Helly Hansen and Grunions, the rubberized shit. It'll keep the water yeah, off you, yeah. but it's not an athletic, functional rain gear. It, it's designed for certain things, but, but backpacking isn't one of them, you know. And you know, in, in your scenario on the Olympic Peninsula. You know, and I don't know what base layers you were wearing or what you're wearing underneath. But if you wanna, if you wanna make that problem worse, that's when if you have those wool layers on, those thicker wool layers that that stayed damp for longer, like you're just you're going, the shit's gonna freeze. Like you're you're you you are going to become hypothermic if you don't do something to counteract. Like you said, you had to keep moving. So it, this all this stuff's interconnected, you know, and and you just can't. I think people need to go out. They need to have some experiences. They need to have some shitty nights out, some close calls. You know, nobody has to die to figure it out. But, um, but you do need to probably have some shitty nights out in in the field. You know, to kind of figure it out. But I don't. I don't know. It, it, it's it's really interesting that you know the one thing that people have in their pack, like like I said, this insurance policy for shitty weather is the one thing they want to compromise on. I just don't get it. I mean, I get it from a financial perspective, but other than that, like if you think it through, you're like, no, this is probably where I should, you know, probably buy some good stuff. Yeah. About that insurance policy comment. Fuck that Barklow. I got insurance. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just kidding. 
<laughs> Bark on, on clothing, um, do you want to cover anything else on any other clothing uh, more than we've talked about already, obviously, and rain gear? Well, I just think the Puffy jacket, you know, you and I are big Puffy fans, and I just think Puffy is critical. Like, again, that's that's it's not the same Puffy jacket, but I have some type of Puffy jacket in my pack no matter the time of year. If I'm hunting, scouting, fucking whatever I'm doing, I have a Puffy in there. And I don't think people understand that. The one thing I, I don't know about you, Aaron, but I hear this a lot and it kind of, it kind of baffles me and I won't, we know some of these people, but I won't throw any of these guys under the bus, although we probably should cause it'd be fun. But anyways, but they'll get to the top of a ridge or they'll get to, you know, hiking somewhere and they're a little damp and it's almost like they freak out and they want to strip those layers off right away and change out into something dry. And they don't understand the concept of, you know, like you said, with the sleeping bag, trapping the body heat. And when you do that with a puffy jacket, you're going to dry out. If you have a good base layer on, wool or synthetic, you're going to dry that out really quick. And you're not going to be damp anymore. And so many people go to the ridge, sit down the glass, don't put anything on over top, and then freeze their ass off and say, well, this gear doesn't work. And it's like, no, you just don't understand the concept. You know, and I, when we were on that hunt, me, you, and Frank on that Alberta hunt, I, I know Frank was with me, but that was so fucking brutal, those conditions, right? Especially for hunting. That I was wearing those, um, I was wearing those new Kelvin light down pants that we've got out. Like, I was wearing those last year. I, fuck, I wore them, dude, to poke around on the top <laughs> of some of that rim rock shit. Because I'm like, fuck it. And if I do go on to stalk a deer, I'm just going to strip the puffy pants off. But, you know, people... You don't, you don't always need puffy pants, but man, there's a real, there's a real, you know, there's a real need there for definitely the puffy jacket. And then depending on the conditions, puffy pants and people just, one, they tend to overlook that. And two, then they don't know how to use it correctly. That, yeah. And I mean, a hundred percent. And I, I do, because I get cold so quick, one of the things that you, you would think sometimes you would throw a wind blocker over a puffy makes sense, but as weird as it is, if I need to rejuvenate heat quick, I will put like that mountain jacket under my puffy, haul ass. Fuck yeah, all the time. Yep, and then I'll actually pull it off, put the, now that I've rejuvenated, got some body heat going, throw the puffy on, and then put the wind blocker on the outside because that, that, okay. that wind blocker is helping me trap some heat. And I know that seems yep. weird, but when you get as cold as I do, you you gotta you gotta reinvent the wheel every now and then and and for for me, in that Alberta trip was fucked. I mean, there's just nothing good about hundred mile an hour winds. I mean, like it was just bad. Well, you know, you're also bow hunting, so you gotta stay you know quiet. And quiet. you know the the thing with guys that I understand that they're like, hey, is you know the puffy jacket? Is that puffy jacket quiet? And I'm like, no, it's a puffy jacket. It's it's not meant to be quiet. Put something over it quiet like there's not too many well i say that lightweight puffy jackets that are insulating that are that are made to be you know tree stand hunting puffy jackets right it's a layering right, system right. well for yeah. for me when i'm wearing that big ass puffy i'm glassing you know when i take off i'm not going to keep that big bastard on when i'm hauling ass across the ridge line because now my body is producing a lot of heat and i've gone to right. a, a different layer and utilizing the system to its best ability, I guess is what I'm talking about. You got to have some common sense to keep your, your, your temperature regulated, your sweat regulated and stay as warm and happy as you possibly can. And 
not there's not one you know peg that fits in one hole i mean there's a lot of different options a lot of different scenarios yeah we can tell people where to start but you know ultimately like you know you you know that you get colder and that that combination works because you understand how the things work right you understand like how the wind the wind blocker works the wind stopper and yeah you, i always get that question too well is is the puffy quiet enough and i'm like quiet enough for what and they're like well quiet enough for bow hunting and i'm like I don't know. Like, I've never gone on a stock wearing a fucking big puppy jacket. I, I personally just have not done that. And I'm like, I, I mean, I think it's quiet enough for what it's for, but it's not that thing that, like, well, maybe you could have done it in Alberta if the wind was blowing 60 fucking miles an hour. You could have got close enough wearing a puffy, you know, where were you getting like three fucking feet from these deer? But, you know, but most of the time you're not going to do that. You're going to take that off to go on the final stock. You're going to put that on when you're static and glassing, you know, around camp or whatever. So, yeah. And I, you know, I will say you can, you can hunt your ass off in the Kelvin active. That thing's plenty quiet. Um, not to argue with you, but that one you can. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think as far as clothes, like, yeah, you said socks, definitely wool is the better choice there for sure. And then, um, you know, I tend to carry, I tend to carry one extra. So I, if I'm going in the field for say five or six, five or six days, I've got one extra pair of socks. And then for every two or three additional days, then I carry another pair of socks. So like on a nine day trip, I'd have two extra pairs. So I'd have a pair on my feet, two pairs in my pack. And then I, I alternate, you know, those two and then eventually cycle in the third. And then for gloves, cause you know, you, you have the problem with your hands and feet. I've probably damaged my hands enough. Like my hands are fucked. Like I get cold sitting in my house. If you can believe that my hands, so like thin liner gloves, I definitely carry a couple pairs of those. And I'm always, when they get damp, I just fucking put them in my pack or put, or not my pack, put them in my puffy jacket or in a pocket, dry them out and put a new pair on and just recycle those. Cause you know, once your hands are fucked, you can't do anything. You can't light a stove, can't light, can't set up a tent, can't work your inReach, like can't do anything. Can't punch so. your clown. That's important. The, uh, exactly. The uh, well, if you I, can't feel your hand though. It's like the stranger, you know. I could damage myself. Mine get that cold. I could hit a nut or something. I can't feel <laughs> shit when my, I could pop or something. It'd be bad. I wear that muff a lot though. Well, I don't backpack in with that, but anywhere else, I I got the hand muff because it's it's vital for me. I I mean, I don't have a choice. Like I've got a, you know, I've got to have it. When we were down in Texas, it gets cold as shit down there, and I just have it on me. 24 7 even packing out animals i i got it on because my body may be warm but you know my hands are freezing and, and on a stock when i got animals coming in if i've got my left hand on my riser i can have a glove on that hand but shooting a compound or a right. stick i like i don't like yeah. having a glove on my hand and so i just keep it in that muff it's quiet i can get it out whitetail hunting too it's it's uh it's good i i actually did a post about having that thing and, and, uh, you know, keeping my hands warm, I throw hot hands in it and I'm, I'm good to go. And I can hunt really infinity. I mean, I don't have to ever worry about warming up my hands if I got a hot hand in that thing. Yeah. That, that hand muff in Alberta was absolutely, I mean, that was like clutch, right. For doing any stock, but yeah, you're right. It's not the easiest thing to backpack around with, but I, I take that thing a lot of places like more, you know, Especially because when you're bow hunting, you know, you you got to have use of your hands and, and fingers. And I'll use that thing a lot. I'll, even if I have a pack on, I'll ride that. I'll just pull it around to the front, you know, and 
and just put my hands in there and or at least warm up my shooting hand. Yeah, but you just got to figure it out. I mean, you got to understand your hands are important, so you need to you need to figure out a system for what you're going to do with your hands and feet. Because if you can't walk around and you can't light a stove, you're pretty much done. Uh, yeah, I am definitely done. Well, man, we're at an hour and forty five minutes. We've only covered about half the <laughs> shit, but whatever. We got a lot got a lot of good info out of there. Um, we only we only covered the highlights anyway, so. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, man, I forgot to mention Barklow has gone Insta Google tweet face on us and you got a lot of good info. Do you want to tell everybody where they can take a look and see that genius brain of yours at work on how not to die? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I've taken the cat pictures down on my Instagram account and uh, I decided to try to do something useful with my life on there. So, yeah, it's, a, it's at J Barklow, B-A-R-K-L-O-W. So I'm pretty new to it. You got to bear with me. But uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to be a Aaron Junior. Is what I'm trying to do. Um, you know, you you do a lot of gear stuff. Like you, dude, you're so into the gear. Like I can't keep up with all the new gear on the market. I'm trying to really like why stuff works and really dig into some of that so that people can kind of arm themselves to make some really good choices. Um, that's kind of what I'm trying to do. So, but yeah, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. For sure. I haven't got any hate mail yet, so I'm waiting for the first hate mail. <laughs> Give it. Oh, that's funny. We're a Trump hat. You'll get it. I did. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, now, this is a crazy thing with that. I got messages letting me know that they were not going to support Kafaru and buy another PAX pack because I wore a Trump hat. And I'm like, so you're going to buy an Asian made piece of shit pack. Literally that, you know, nothing wrong, whatever. Asia makes good stuff. But I'm like, and they vote for Trump, too. They just didn't wear the hat, and you're going to buy their shit. And the guy's like, how do you know they vote for Trump? I'm like, well, they're friends of mine, too. Like, good God, people. Like, I, I couldn't believe. I, I mean, I literally lost, like, 150 followers from wearing a hat, and I was amazed. I was like, good God, I don't care who you oh. vote for. Leave me alone. Well, you know what's interesting about that is, okay, did you actually have to wear the hat for <laughs> them to realize that you weren't a fucking Bernie Sanders supporter? Like, did they... They fucking clearly, like, you know, I don't want to make too many assumptions here, Aaron, but, I mean, Jesus. Yeah, that was a fucking... Knocked it out of the park. I don't know, obvious. Well, <laughs> I just was like, good God, people. I mean, he's an outdoorsman, you know, because Trump, Trump Jr. posted it on his on his page, and I'm Absolutely. like... Trump Jr. is a huge hunter. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, we talk all the time about he shoots traditional archery, you know, what setups and shit, and I'm like... Anyway, it's unique, but yeah, you'll get hate mail eventually. Just give it time. I told Frank when he started here, I said, you'll hate everybody inside of three to five years. Was I close? You don't well, hate everyone. Yeah, I started but... <laughs> out hating everybody, so I got nowhere to go. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good way to do it. Oh, and by the way, just so everybody knows, those I, I copied Barklow on the hike angry. We're probably going to make a shirt that says that, that, that. I definitely stole that from John. Oh, dude, I was just busting your balls. I love you posted those logos, right, on, on IG? Yeah, yep. Yeah, all, all I ask, just send me a shirt, dude. I, I fucking love, I don't know which ones you're going to make, but you got some really good ones in there. Yeah, we're going to, the Copenhagen Caffeine and Anger, we're going to take the fuel gauge oh, off of that one. That. But, yeah, we're going to do that one. And then, yeah, we're going to do a few, the one with the National Forest sign, but we're torquing them a little bit when, when Jerry gets back <laughs> from his bear hunt. But we're going to do some stickers and T-shirts with those. You're going to sell out of that Copenhagen one, like, immediately. So just double the order. Yeah, no no shit. Um, I, uh, I, I, yeah. When's I think, Copenhagen going to pay you back for all of your years of loyalty? 
I could buy an F four fifty Ford today in cash for what I've spent on Copenhagen. So I'm looking for that to be my number one sponsor right now, and they better pay fucking big time because it's expensive because be awesome. you'll switch to fucking Grizzly. Yes. <laughs> Kodiak. I don't know if anybody's got a tobacco sponsor for a punting podcast yet, but you could be the first for sure. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I, I got to dip in constantly. Uh, shit. Well, uh, man, I appreciate you uh, you coming on and uh, yeah, and the friendship and all the help and everything else. I know people enjoy the the podcast when we're all the, together. Hopefully, this one's no different. I'm I'm sure we'll get some some uh, responses from it. It's good to have Frank on there. He was a little gun shy talking when you were taking a piss, but uh, you know, it's good to have you on there, Frank. Thanks, man. <laughs> it's the mustache. <laughs> and oh. a few words. Frank has taken a much larger part of his real job here at Kafaru. He's um, had to take the bull by the horn, so he hasn't been able to get on the podcast as of late. I've had some hottie porn strippers get a hold of me and ask where Frank's at, so that's always a a good sign. Frank, you're doing the mustache. That's the that's the weird thing though. Like they're not hitting me up. It's like what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. I got it. Oh shit! All right, cool. All right, thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, guys. Have a good day. See ya.